we will continue in our in-depth study of, of Colossians. And during these initial Sundays that we gather together, I'll, I'll be giving some preliminary data as far as, as far as what we're doing. And the only reason I want to do that is because we're relatively new in the, in, in the English service. This is our second week. And I kind of want to get you guys familiarized with, with the concept and the notion of, of what we're doing as a church. And so little by little, I'll start introducing you guys to certain themes and concepts within like the first two, three minutes of the, of the message. Just so you guys understand the depth of why we do what we do. And, and you may have noticed uh, the songs that we were singing there. They're a little bit old English. They're a little bit, uh, if, if you've been in church for a while, you can kind of go back to the time where, man, these things sound like hymns. These things are old school. Like, aren't we supposed to be doing new things? Aren't we supposed to be doing new stuff? Well, part of our, our belief is, is what the Bible teaches about worship. And at the initial state, this gathering, like we've mentioned before, is worship to God. We're gathered here before God, before his throne, and we're... We're, we're grateful for that. But part of the reason why we sing what we sing is because it takes us back to the truths of Scripture. Some of the contemporary songs we've noticed in the church are very me-centric. You know, they make you feel good, and they're about you, and they're about how you feel and how, how much God loves you in a sense. And not that that's bad, but it doesn't really talk to us about a strong scriptural ground on why we are doing what we're doing as far as worship. And so these hymns and these songs force us, in a sense, to acknowledge the greatness of God in the scripture and get us to be more theological when we come down to worship. So I know theology is a big word, and it's like, what does that mean? But it just gets us to know God a little bit better. So those, the, the, some of the songs that we sang today are very much along those lines, and it just drives the church to get to know God better. And you always got to remember, church from the beginning of time was never designed for our pleasure. And that's just a concept we got to delete from our, from our, our mind. In a sense, we, a lot of us come to church because we're like, well, let's see what we can get from it. Let's see how good I feel when I leave. Or, I mean, all those things are secondary and they're part of, part of it. But primarily, why we gather to worship is because we're before God. That's it. You and I are sinners before God, and we are sinners that have been sanctified by God. And that's why we come to him in worship and in glory. And the thing that we do here together, that's just part of our worship to him. When we sing, when we give offering, when we shake each other's hands, that's just the family of God recognizing the greatness of God in the midst of worship. So, so I'll, I'll be talking about those little things every once in a while during these initial weeks so that you guys understand the concepts of why we do what we do. And then hopefully in the near future when we open up a midweek service or an afternoon service, I don't know, whatever it is that we open up in the, in the midweek or in the afternoon, um, we'll be able to teach more on biblical doctrine so you guys can get more educated on that sense. Uh, but it, until we do so, I'll open up briefly with a couple of minutes just sharing why we do what we do. So if you have your Bible, please open it up to Colossians. We're in the final chapter of Colossians. We're in chapter 4. And like we've mentioned previously, if, you, if this is your first time here, 
we've been going through the whole book of Colossians verse by verse in our Spanish service, and now that we're doing our English service, we've jumped in on the last chapter. And last week we shared on verse 2 on the effectiveness of prayer and its ingredients, what kind of prayer is effective. Uh, and if you guys wrote down notes and you guys paid attention last week, and if you guys were awake last week, you'll remember that part of an effective prayer includes three ingredients. And what were those ingredients? Perseverance, being alert, and what was the last one? Thanksgiving. I was hoping my wife would remember that one. And thanksgiving. So those were the three ingredients that were involved in effective prayer. And we see Paul making that the main cause at the end of his letter. Prayer is needed. Prayer is important. And the Christian and the church should be a church that prays. Translating to us in the 21st century, you and I need to be people of prayer. So I hope that you've been able to examine your own prayer life within this last week. If you were here last week, you understood the concept of prayer and its importance. And I hope that you've evaluated your prayer life. Because as we mentioned, what Paul is implicating in these verses is there's a humbleness when it comes down to praying. Because you realize that your life cannot be lived effectively without spiritual backup. You need to pray. I need to pray because that is where we are filled. We are filled by God in prayer. Those of us who are lost, those of us who are kind of wandering in our minds, those of us that are just confused about everything in, in our society, those of us that are complaining about everything, usually are very poor when it comes to prayer. And this, we see evidence of this in today's society when a lot of people have millions of dollars in the bank account and then they still decide that their life has no meaning and they still decide to take their lives. So the answer is obvious, friends. Money is not going to be the solution to all of your problems, contrary to what you may believe. And now it's easy to say that, right, because none of us are millionaires here, unless there is some millionaire here. We need to update the shed for the youth. Um, talk to me after the service. But most of us, it's like, oh, it's fairly easy to say, well, none of us here have millions, so that's why we don't know it. But if we did have millions, we'd be able to do so many things, and we'd be happy. Well, we don't know that. But what we have seen is that that is not the answer. And so prayer is needed, especially in the life of the Christian, and especially in the context of church. So let's read Chapter 4, let's read the following verses. And remember, this is part of a bigger portion, verses 2 through 6, but I'm only going to read verses 3 and 4. And it says, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on the account of which I am in prison. Verse 4, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I love the ESV translation because even though it sounds a little bit choppy, a little bit weird, and the vocabulary and the terminology is a little bit weird, it, it gets down to the main points. And we're going to be dissecting that little by little today. So that's kind of the version I use, just in case you guys are wondering what version I'm using and if it seems a little bit different from yours. Uh, it's the ESV 
version, and it just it stays faithful to the original text. And that's why sometimes it sounds a little bit choppy. For instance, that last verse, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. It's a little bit weird the way it's, it's stated there. However, we'll, we'll address it once we get there. So now what is Paul talking about? So he made it clear the church and the people of the church need to be people of prayer. But now, in this portion, remember, there's two portions in this, in this, in this brief little pericope. It's verses 2 through 6, and the first three verses are about prayer and the mission of prayer. And the last two verses, 5 and 6, are about dealing with the outside world. So within these verses, we see now the purpose why the church should be praying. And in Paul's case, he says in verse 3, pray also for us. Who's he talking about? He's talking about his team. He's talking about the people that have spread the gospel in Asia Minor, specifically where the church in Colossae is located. They need prayer. Can you imagine Paul, the apostle, asking the church, a relatively new church, to pray for him? And remember, the church in Colossae wasn't founded by Paul. Paul didn't. Paul wasn't the pastor of the church, so sometimes it's easier to ask your own congregation. Like, I would love for you guys to be praying for me every week. I mean, I need that. And, but you've seen me. You've known me. You've talked to me. Paul had never talked to this church, never passed by the church. Actually, he did pass by on one of his missionary journeys, but he never visited them. So the church doesn't know who Paul is, and the church is relatively new. And still... Paul is requesting prayer. Now, this is going to become very important to us as we get deeper into the text. But here we have a man, a man of God, a man who has been chosen by God, a man who was crucifying Christians and now suddenly turns to Christianity, a man that has written tons and tons of letters in the New Testament and has instructed tons and tons and dozens and dozens of churches, a man of this caliber is requesting prayer. Now that says something to us. That says something to our ego where in many times we think that we have it all figured out again. And, and, it, and it has to get you to, to know the, this context that Paul is speaking in. And this is a very hard context that he's in. He's traveling. He's, he's preaching. He's under persecution. He's in jail right now. And all of this involves why he's asking the church to pray for him. What's he saying? Church, help me out. Do not forget about me. Now pay close attention to what he's not asking. He's not asking, church, send me money. Church, send me a lawyer to get me out of prison. Church, come knock down these gates so that I can get out of here. Church, come over here and give me food and give me some extra cash that I need on the side. Pay close attention to what he's asking the church to do is to pray for his mission. We see in Paul the need of prayer. Every single person needs prayer. Now, you may, you may have thousands of dollars in the bank account. You may have two PhDs. You may have, we were just talking about in the lobby, a Tesla. You may have 
a lot of things. You may have 4,000 friends on Facebook or 2,000 followers on Instagram or whatever astonishing number it would be. You may have all of that. But what we lack is a spiritual fortitude. It's the Spirit of God in us, working through us and bringing us closer to Him. Although Paul is in prison, he needs the power of God. Paul has seen God's work in all the, in all the Asia Minor, all the, all the countries he's visited, all the continents he's been on. He needs prayer in the same way you and I need it. When we realize that we don't need prayer is when we realize we don't need God. When's the last time you asked somebody to pray for you? Not in a superficial way either. Not like, oh, yeah, bro, pray for me. I got a test to take tomorrow or I got a job interview to do. To, to do. Not, not just in a, in a need base. When's the last time you prayed for, you asked somebody to pray for you because you're in a deep spiritual struggle. You're facing temptations daily and you're caving into them. You're losing the battle to sin. When's the last time you spoke to your brothers in Christ and said, bro, I need your help. Pray for me so I can advance and advance the gospel through, through, my, through my life of testimony. Paul needs prayer. And in that same way, he is implicating to the church in Colossae that they should be seeking prayer for themselves too. This is, this is what he is establishing in the church. Paul is demonstrating humility in, in, in the church. And the church is to realize that humility and also be under that realization that they themselves need prayer. But then he's specifically asking for something. What is Paul asking for? Verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. He's, pr he's asking prayer for the mission, for the objective, for the purpose of spreading and extending the gospel of Jesus Christ. This isn't his own agenda, friends. This is why Paul is Paul. This is why Paul is the man in the New Testament. Never egocentric. There's nothing egocentric about Paul. He's in prison, in chains, and he wants the gospel of Christ to keep extending. So he asks for the mission. What, are you, what is the church going to be praying for? Mission. What is the church going to have in mind? The mission, the gospel, extension of the gospel. And, and here's what I want you to realize. Paul, up until this point, Paul is in chains, in prison, where? He's in prison in the city of Rome. He was sent there, if you guys remember, we, we touched this in, uh, if you guys read Colossians 1, uh, but we touched this long back when we were talking about it in the Spanish church. He was preaching in, in, in Jerusalem and the Jews got upset and they just kind of were, they had too much with him. He, he, he appeals to the council in Jerusalem and he appeals to the Roman emperor. He wants to go to Rome to speak on behalf of what he was doing. So they, they, in, they, they imprisoned him there and they sent him off. On, on, and that's where we see that he, he was in a, in a lot of uh, shipwrecks and stuff like that because he's on his way to Rome. And, and he was sent to Rome because he was preaching the gospel. So he's in jail again for preaching the gospel. And what's he asking the church to pray about? Preaching the gospel. Like, 
hold up, man, that just, that's what got you in jail in the first place. Keeps asking the church to pray for him. So he's in Rome, but if we look carefully at Paul's trajectory in his mission field, in his mission work, we realize that all three of his missionary journeys have taken place. They're all completed. Paul, at the start of his Christian life, after being instructed by Jesus Christ, he takes off for the gospel. What does Paul do? He wants to preach. He wants to spread the word of God. Why? Because Paul was persecuting and killing Christians for the name of Christ for tons of years, for a dozen years probably. So now Paul wants to make up for it. And he wants to be preaching and spreading the gospel everywhere. And so he does so. So by the time he ends up in Rome, in jail, he's already done three missionary journeys, totaling 13,450 miles. 13,450 miles. That's a lot. From here to Boston, to the East Coast, that's about 1,000 miles. You come back, that's 2,000 miles. Now, that's on a flight. You could get there in two hours to Boston on a flight. Here's a man that is walking all over the continent, all over the Mediterranean Sea, ship through land, through mountains, accumulating almost 13,450 miles. Now, that's an estimate by the, the geologists, I mean, the geographers of air miles. It doesn't include when he had to go through certain caves through different ways because they were closed. So it, they easily say that it could have doubled. So think about roughly... 25,000 miles traveled on foot in those days. No airplane, no car, no Uber, no Lyft. Walking through mountains. I've seen some of you guys walk from here to McDonald's and you guys get tired. And you guys are like 19 years old. Here we have this man on mission, almost 25,000 miles on foot. For the extension of the gospel. Now, in the book of Romans, in the letter to the Romans, look at what he writes. You don't have to turn there, but just write down Romans chapter 15, verse 24. Listen to what he writes. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Paul is writing to the Romans, to the church in Rome. He's writing to them saying, I hope to see you. And then he says, as I pass by, because I'm on from there, I'll go further down to Spain. And, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a, a while. Here's a man in prison, accomplished three missionary journeys, 25,000 miles on foot. All of that is in his, uh, his repertoire. That's his... That's, that's what he's done. He's an evangelist. He could take that to the bank and say, look at my experience. That's what I've done. But he's sitting in jail still hoping to go to Spain. Now, it's incredible because the letter he writes to the Romans is from another prison in Corinth. And even in that prison, he's hoping to go to Rome and then from Rome keep going to Spain. Now, if you can see Italy here, now it's going to be backwards for you. Italy's here, Spain keeps going further down, another about four or 5,000 miles to get there. 
And you think about it, it's like, man, there's no planes. And he still wants to go all the way to Spain. For what? Spread the gospel. That's his heart. And so while he's sitting in prison in Rome now, talking to the church in Colossae, he's asking the church, pray for me so that the message can keep going. He does not stop. He wants to spread the gospel more. Here is the effectiveness of the gospel, the transformational aspect of the gospel. This man, friends, was a killer of Christians. This man was an enemy of God. And when we realize that he was an enemy of God, we realize that many of us have once been there. If you're a son of God today, you're a son of God or or a daughter of God because God has saved you. How many of you guys can say, thank you, God, for saving me? If you're not, however, which is sometimes the case within church, sometimes we think that by being in church we're saved. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I I go to church. I've I've been going to Vida Wendante since I was a little kid. My mom brought me to church. And some of us think that that's salvation. You've been here forever in, in your life. But you don't know God, and you don't know the gospel, and the gospel hasn't changed you. And so that's why you keep living the same life as everybody else, except that on Sunday mornings, instead of coming back from your hangover and going to your bed, you come to church, because maybe that might make you feel better. And unfortunately, Sunday mornings are filled with a lot of people like that. They're hungover. And they want, to make, they want to feel better about themselves, so they go to church. And they say, maybe the pastor can wake me up. Maybe the pastor can take away this buzz that I have. Maybe the pastor can make me feel better about myself. Well, friends, the gospel changes people. The gospel is transformative. And we see that in the life of Paul, so much so that three missionary journeys, 25,000 miles of preaching because of what the gospel did. That's a changed life. He's not in his home doing the same thing. The gospel changed them and put him on mission for the gospel of Christ. If the gospel hasn't changed you, you're going to realize sooner or later that you've been doing the same things since you thought you were not a Christian. And you say, Jonathan, but I think I am a Christian, because but I've been coming to church and I pray and I do something. But I'm but your life is exactly the way it was before. There's no change. Friends, the gospel changes. And you have to come to that realization one day in your life. Am I a Christian? You have to ask yourself that. If if you notice that your life is following the same patterns over and over again, you have to ask yourself, am I a Christian? If not, and then you feel conviction, then today could be your day to say, God, change me. Let the gospel sink in and penetrate your souls and make you new so that you can be or you can do as Paul did. And now your mission will be very, very different in life. He needs that spiritual backup. So here, here, here he is in, in prison, in jail, locked up asking for the mission to keep going forward. He needs that spiritual backup. He needs that spiritual prayer from the church. This also shows the church in Colossae how they're supposed to act with one another. If he's requesting prayer for them, that implies that they should be praying for each other too. Why? Because 
It's difficult terrain. The gospel in every part of the world is a difficult gospel. We need help. If you go to school, if you're in a university that's a secular university, you need help for the gospel of Christ to advance. Because every professor will put the gospel under scrutiny and criticize the gospel. If you're at work and, and, and you're surrounded by people that don't like God or don't consider anything about God or, or church of any importance, you're going to be under scrutiny every day and with questions flying your way saying, if God is so good, why is he allowing all of this negativity, bad stuff going on? What's, well, why is God allowing that hurricane in North Carolina to, to keep happening? Well, why doesn't God put a stop to that? You know, you're going to be bombarded with questions like that by people that hate God and are putting the gospel under scrutiny. And why does Paul need prayer? Because he needs to resist. Wherever we go, the gospel will be under attack. And so he's giving us a set of norms to say, as a church, you guys have to be praying for each other too. So I'm praying for you. you we often say that. And it's never a reality, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. We never do it. Friends, I honestly pray for this church. We actually prayed for you guys this morning. We gathered together with the worship team, with some of the leaders, and we gathered and we prayed for you. We prayed for you to get here. Prayed for you to, that God opens up your mind today and opens up your heart so that you can be different people in the world. We're praying for you. We're praying for this church because we know that it is not easy. And in this verse, he's He's talking about this door. He says that God may open to us a door for the word. This is rather important. I want you to turn to Acts, the book of Acts, briefly. The book of Acts is a historical narrative of the early church. We see Paul's life develop in the book of Acts. If you want to know a little bit more of Paul at the beginning, look at the book of Acts, specifically chapters 8 and on. Or specifically chapter 7 when he's stoning or when he's allowing Stephen to be stoned. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 14. Look what he says in verse 27. Acts chapter 14 verse 27. And when they arrived, talking about Paul, and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. You see that terminology? It's the same thing. Paul's asking the Colossian church that they pray for what? That God opened the door. And what happens in Acts, what he's talking about is that moment when the Gentiles began to receive Christ. And he says that, and how God opened the door. Here is the power and the effectiveness of God. Here, here my friends, is where, where you don't have to worry about evangelizing. Most of the time when we say evangelize, a lot of us have this mental image of like, oh man, that means I have to preach and go knocking on the doors on Saturday morning and oh, people don't like that. They'll kick me out. Well, we have like these bad concepts of, of evangelizing because that's kind of what our parents did in the 90s and they, they flooded the streets and they passed out tracts and they did all this 
plays on the streets, and it's kind of like a weird kind of a moment to evangelize like that. So we have like this disdain towards evangelism. But you don't have to worry about it, friends. That's why when I tell you guys to be evangelists, to, to go spread the gospel, you don't have to worry about it because God does the work. You open your mouth, you pray beforehand, and let God do the work. He's, Paul says, God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, if you read a little bit before in Acts chapter 13, you'll notice that some Gentiles came into the church, some Jews came into the church, others didn't. You're not going to win everybody. However, the door was opened. But check this out. What happened in that open door? And why is Paul asking for the Colossian church to open up another door or the same door? And if you look at chapter before, chapter 13 of Acts, verse 42, what happens? As they went out, the people begged that these things may be told to them the next Sabbath. What was going on? Paul was preaching the gospel. And people loved it so much, they begged them to come back. Verse 43, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Here we have Jews converting. So this is a, a weird concept because Jews were opposed to the gospel, but now we have certain Jews converting. Now we'll read verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So when Paul is talking about that the church in Colossae to open the door, he's saying oh, that God may open the door so that this very stuff may occur. That people hear the word and come to know Christ. The very reason why we're here today is that you and I can know Christ. Again, you're not here to listen to me. I got nothing good to say. Only thing good about this moment is that you're listening to the word of God. So I don't have clever jokes to tell you. I don't think you guys want to hear me tell a joke. See, not, not even that was funny. Like, you get it? Like, what you're here to listen to is the word of God. If you're not here to listen to the word of God, then, man, go somewhere else, man. You'll, you'll, there's a lot of more funnier pastors out there. Let me tell you that. There's a lot funnier pastors out there than myself. But God opened the door so that the word of God was preached. And many devout Jews came to know God. Those are some of the most difficult people to, to bring into the, the kingdom. Because they hated Christ. They crucified Christ. Now, some Jews got upset at this. Verse 45 says that some of the Jews got jealous. Verse 46 says they rejected the word that was given to them. And so now Paul says, because you guys rejected it, now i got to give it to the Gentiles. So here's that open door concept. This is where, why it's important to understand these concepts. Paul is asking the church in Colossae that God may open the door because God had already done it in the Gentile world in Antioch, where the, where the first people began to, to be known as Christians. They opened the door in Antioch and people started coming to Christ, some Jews and some Gentiles. And now the Jews that rejected Christ were obviously upset at this. And verse 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The Jewish people were upset that the Gentiles were converting, were coming 
to Christ. And here we have that opposition of the gospel, the difficulty of the gospel. I, I want you guys to get that and understand that, that the reason why God is, I mean, Paul is pray, asking for prayer, it's because the gospel is in difficult territory. It was in the first century, and today more than ever, it's in difficult territory. It's hard. To be a Christian is not easy. It's not like the 40s and 50s when predominantly America was Christian. We are in a difficult time as Bible believers. As a matter of fact, if you tell your friends that you went to church today, they'll be like, really? Why? Did they take your money? Why are you going there? Are you, are, you, are you in love with the girl? Are you trying to get hooked up or what? There's, there's no reason to come to church anymore. It's just like nonsense and a waste of time. But Paul is asking for this door to open. And, it, and if we read further into Acts, and I don't want to spend too much time in Acts, but this is just amazing stuff. In Acts 14, I'll go through this fairly quickly. In verse 5, they try to kill Paul. In verse 19, they stoned Paul. And they stoned him so hard that they thought he was dead. They thought he was dead and they dragged him out of the city and left him outside to die. What's funny in verse 19 and 20, it says Paul got up and went back inside the city. It's just incredible. They stoned him. They tried to kill him in verse 5. They stoned him almost to death in verse 19. And then Paul goes, the narrative goes on, and Paul goes to preach in another city in Derby. But in the geography of this, this is the beautiful thing about the geography of this. Derby was only about 200 miles, what is it, east of Antioch, where he had originally left. It's about 200 miles, difficult terrain, but 200 miles. All he had to do was go to Derby and then just keep going east, southeast. And he would have got home already and laid back and chilled a little bit, watched a little bit of Netflix and just relaxed for a little bit. But no. When he finished preaching in Derby, Paul went back west to the cities that stoned him and tried to kill him. And you say, why? Paul, did one of those rocks hit you that hard? You want to go back to the place where they almost killed you? As a matter of fact, if, the way, if you look at it on the map, he goes back west all the way, like the trip quadruples where he could have just gone directly back home. He goes back, makes it the longest way, back into enemy territory, Back to possibly being stoned again, and you ask yourself, why, Paul? Why? Here's why. Acts, I want you to read this with me. Acts 14, 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to what? Say it. Encouraging them to? To what? Continue in what? To what? Continue in the faith. What, what did Paul do? Paul goes back in enemy territory for, for the reason 
of encouraging the disciples to continue in the faith. That same word continue is the same word we use to persevere, that he uses in Colossians to persevere that we explored last week. To continue to persevere in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. The door is open to enter. And what does Paul say? We will enter through many tribulations. And he's asking God, the God to allow these people to persevere. I think that's some weird noise going on over there. However, friends, this is what I really want you guys to understand. As Paul sits in prison, as Paul is under Roman chains for preaching the gospel, he has done this before. And it was difficult before. And tribulations existed before. And now Paul wants to make the new church also persevere with this faith. Why? Because the gospel, my friends, is worth it. The gospel is worth it. The fact that you're here listening to the gospel of Christ, that you're listening to the word of God, it's worth it. It's worth waking up early on Sunday morning. Why couldn't we have this at 11? Why couldn't we do this at 1030 at least? Why couldn't we have waited until after football season? The gospel, my friends, is worth every tribulation. And that's why Paul says, let those doors come open. Let them uh, swing wide, my friends, so that even though if it costs us our lives, we will persevere. I'm going to end with this. Two reasons for an open door, for that open door that Paul preaches about. First reason we see is in the same verse. What does verse 3 say? So that we can proclaim, or that he can proclaim, the mystery of Christ. What's that mystery again? We read in the chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Colossians, it's God now inhabiting in the Gentiles, when supposedly that wasn't supposed to happen. But now God is revealed to the Gentiles. And it's for that proclamation, for the extension, for the work of the gospel. The church is to be praying for Paul so that the gospel could keep moving forward. Second reason. So it could be proclaimed with boldness. What does the end of verse, I mean, verse 4 say? That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That word laleo in, in Greek means a way of speaking with authority. It's the same word that is used to describe the teachings and the preachings of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. If you guys remember Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, they say he preaches and teaches with, like someone with authority. So what is Paul saying here? Because the Gospel is difficult, I'm asking you to pray for me that I may pray, uh, proclaim it with boldness, with authority. What's he saying? He doesn't want to cower down. He doesn't want to hide. He doesn't want to dress up the gospel in a Roman way. He doesn't want to make it appealing to 
the Roman culture or to the Judaistic culture. He doesn't want to make it some kind of blend so that it's easier for them to accept it. So they can be like, oh, okay, that's kind of like what we believe. Yeah, that's kind of philosophical. That's kind of Gnostic. That's kind of cool. I, I dig that. No, he's asking for boldness in his proclamation so that when he preaches it, people will come to Christ. Others won't. Others will laugh as they did in Athens. But he's asking for boldness because the gospel is a hard message. My friends, when you tell your friends, your friends, that the only way to heaven is Jesus Christ, they're going to be like, sorry, buddy. There's a million religions out there. And they all lead to God. Or you'll find other people that say, we die, we die. We go back to dust. There's nothing important about it. That's it. Life is just dust. But when you say, you're a sinner, and you need Christ, and the only way to be saved from your sins is Jesus Christ, is through Jesus Christ, that's a hard message. I dare you to say that tomorrow in your, at your work. I dare you to say that to your friends today. They'll be like, dude, what, you, you crazy? This is the 21st century. We're in 2018, buddy. It's a hard message. But we are to declare it with boldness. Say it with me. Boldness. Don't be afraid. Don't back down. Don't be a coward. If you're a Christian today, if you consider yourself a Christian today, don't be a coward. Don't hide the word of God. Let it be proclaimed boldly. Let your life proclaim it boldly. Read your Bible in your lunch hour. Pray when you eat your lunch. Talk to your friends about the gospel of Christ. So many people talk so much nonsense during lunch, right? When it's lunch hour, hey, did you watch the Canelo fight? Hey, did you do this? Hey, it's like a bunch of nonsense. Why don't you sit down and be like, hey, dudes, you want to know who God is? You know who God is? Do you know who Jesus Christ is? I dare you to open up a sentence like that and see what happens. But when you do, do it with boldness and clarity so that the mystery of Christ can be known. That's why Paul is asking for prayer. It's hard that, that he may persevere even if it means his life. He can't accomplish this in his own strength. None of us can. I like what Calvin says about this in his commentary, that we should continue in prayer that the Lord may not leave us destitute of the spirit of confidence. We all need prayer when it comes down to the proclamation of God's word. Now look what happens. Paul ends up being in prison once more in Rome, and he spends the rest of his life there. He dies in Rome. He never gets to go to Spain. There's no proofs or evidence that he ever went to Spain. He wanted to, to keep preaching the gospel, but he never got there. He died in prison alone. But at the end of the first century, which is during the time that Paul lived, Paul died around A.D. 65. So relatively 35 years before the first century was over, there was more than 40 cities in the entire Roman Empire with Christian communities. Friends, that's impressive. Across the whole Roman Empire in the first century, more than 40 cities contained the church or there was Christian communities there. 
they went as far as Carthage in North Africa to Rome in Italy, all the way down to Memphis in Egypt and back up to Edessa in Mesopotamia. It's a vast empire, and in every part of the empire, there was a Christian community. But check this out. This is where the beauty of God comes in. Paul didn't get to see that happen at the end of the, the first century because he died 35 years before the century closed. But at the end of the second century, another 100 years, there was six churches in Spain. Did Paul go to Spain? But the gospel was proclaimed, and Spain heard the gospel. And it even went all the way up to France. That's why we are to ask for prayer so that we can boldly proclaim the word of God. Now let's rise to our feet. I'm going to pray for you today that you guys may be bold preachers of the gospel. So don't let me do my job by myself. Pray that you guys do it today and Monday morning is a good time for you to practice preaching the word of God with boldness. So let's pray. Lord, as we come to an end of our service here today, I pray that you disturb our hearts so much. Whatever state that we're in, even if we are in spiritual chains or emotional chains, even though Paul was in physical chains, he wanted the gospel of Jesus Christ preached because it's the light to the world. It's the only hope for the world. So I pray that as an as our English service grows and as that we become more people of your word, that we may proclaim your word and not be bashful and not be ashamed and not try to hide it, but let it be a light unto the world. Change it so much so in our lives so that we turn from all of our sin Give us that weight to keep extending it to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name. And we all say, amen.